Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make it Do you think you can make it a better world? Well, you know, we can't. We can't make it, but uh, Christ through us can. And that's why we're here. And that's why we gather together every Tuesday night to find out how better to do that um, with some very interesting guests, some of my favorite people in the world um, who can help us uh, get a handle around what it means to uh, live for Christ outside of uh, religiosity, the the whole uh, spiritual realm set aside somewhere where you have a whole bunch of Christian things. Or over here, we are Christians who are taking up residence in the world. And we have a representation of Christ wherever we go. And so uh, this is the exciting thing. And uh, almost everybody I've had on that show, on this show, has has a really good handle uh, on that and has been a, a great help to us. And so you, we've got, by the way, a, a big backlog of, of these. Uh, we've been doing this for a year and a half now. And uh, every Tuesday night, so there's lots of shows you can scroll back through and uh, find all kinds of interesting people and topics. Um, we've we've discussed everything from uh, sex trafficking to uh, uh, Oz Guinness talking about um, what religious freedom really means for us as Americans. Um, to uh, the poor in Portland and uh, homeless people, and we have fact we have uh, our favorite uh, Jeff, who has been on two or three times, um, our, our friend from Santa Ana, who is now under a roof after 19 years of homelessness. He and his wife. So uh, he's he's talked from that perspective. So it's really great to get all these different angles and. Uh, Today, tonight is no exception. We have uh, a man who I met a number of years ago, and uh, we hit it off. We just have a a similar way of thinking, and uh, he spent a lot of time in the Christian college higher education world, which is where I've spent a lot of time for the last 30 years speaking uh, in chapels and holding uh, daily lecture series and all those kinds of things. And um, so we really resonate on those areas. But um, our guest today uh, has been at uh, uh, a dean at, I believe he can can shed some better light on this, uh, at uh, 
uh, I be, believe it's California Baptist College. I'm not sure they still call it that in Riverside. And then um, he was a dean of the business uh, department in in uh, in Biola University. So um, he's well versed in that world, and uh, we're going to talk about that. And now he's out out of out of that world and working with businessmen um, and something that I think uh, he'll be very excited to talk about it because he loves it. So here we go. Um, please welcome to Block Talk Radio, Daryl Passwater. Daryl, welcome. Thanks, John, and it is good to be here. Hopefully it can be helpful. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it will. <laughs> I, I know it will. Um yeah, I remember the first time we met, I think. It was with, uh, wasn't it with Stan Matson? Yes, it was. I know. On the CS yeah. Foundation. Yes. Well, you and don't, Stan you don't has know been a this, guest. But, oh, his, that's wonderful. He's a terrific guy. We go back about 35 years at the foundation, uh, the, the formulation of the foundation. And, and when I was a dean of the School of Business at University of Redlands, he was in the development office and wanted to start the C.S. Lewis Foundation, and we prayed and prayed and prayed, and it became a reality, and it's blessed scores of people around the world, enhancing the idea wow. of what it means to be a Christian professor. And so Stan's a great man. Yeah, I didn't realize that um, you were been with that from the beginning. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, and you don't know this, Red but Lynch. you... And, and you were you were at Mount Hermon, where, where uh, my wife and I were at Mount Hermon, and we were camp counselors, and you were involved with sharing ministry of music and worship. And so that's where I first got to know you, but you wouldn't remember me. I was nothing back then, but uh, it's going back about 40 years ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You were, yeah. you were so a we've... counselor. You know, you didn't, you didn't tell me that, though. <laughs> yeah, at, Pont, at Pont that's fantastic. Lodge, at Mount Hermon. No yes. kidding. The, so that was the first year they opened uh, in '69, no, and I was doing the music. It, well, I was there uh, the next year, but but you did concerts, and you were there, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then I was connected to Peninsula Bible Church a little bit, just tangentially. So so we were just you know satellites, but uh, I was following your career, and your music was very significant in my life. Ah. Uh. That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad. I'm always glad to hear that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your past before we get into what you're doing now, because uh, sure. Uh, and I forgot about the Redlands connection, so that's pretty cool. You've been in both the Christian higher education and secular higher education, and I, I kind of want to know how you got into that, and have you always been? on the business side of things and where did the business come from? I, um, so try and try and fill in the blanks just a little bit for us here, if you could. Well, great. Yeah. I'll keep it short, but, um, I actually was, um, uh, my doctorates in education, um, and higher education leadership. And I wanted to be a college professor and, um, an administrator. And this is going back into the late 70s, believe it or not. And so things were a little bit different then than they are today. And so uh, the University of Redlands was my first professional position. And I came in as a program director, being responsible for 30 or 40 faculty members who were quite quite a bit older than me. And it was a very intimidating but enlightening experience. And 
Um, and we were teaching leadership principles to a variety of different constituencies, um, uh, mostly business leaders, uh, some healthcare leaders. And um, somewhere along the line, about four years into doing this, um, wonderful experience. And then I said, you know, I'm teaching all these business students things and leadership. Probably be smart if I got my MBA. Um, and so I went back, got an MBA, and then I um, was, took this position of the dean of the School of Business and um, was there for well, a total of 10 years at the University of Redlands and uh, six of those, um, mm. excuse me, five of those for deanship and had a really good experience. And then um, some people came along and said, we need a, Stan Matson being one of them, we need a Christian high school in the city of Redlands. And they, through prayer and discussion, they, um, I guess you'd say, wooed me into through the Holy Spirit to, to lead that. And I started a Christian uh, high school and in the city of Redlands called Arrowhead Christian Academy and had a really good experience doing that. But um, I wanted to get back into higher education and particularly School of Business because I served on many boards, hospital boards and um, so forth, and did some consulting. And then I went <clears throat> to California Baptist University, as they now call it, and I was a dean of School of Business there. And we had you come and speak uh, over there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I was doing that. And at that time, I got introduced while I was a dean to a thing called Convene, which is an organization committed to assisting Christian business owners uh, build, build great companies with have, have eternal uh, perspective. And so I was introduced to it, and then I got excited about it. And I saw, it, as opposed to being a consultant where someone would come in and short-term and try to you know, affect the company, hopefully positively, this had more of longevity to it. We basically were calling it life on life over time. I really like that chronic concept to it. So um, I got introduced to it there, and I became a chair of a group in Riverside. Thoroughly loved it, and three years into that, I said, you know, I really am done pushing paper and spending time in meetings. I'd rather be ministering to people, uh, particularly Christian businessmen, who um, wanted to spend quality time uh, with getting help individually and collectively. So um, mm-hmm. I called my buddy who was a dean of the School of Business over at Biola and said, would you like a slightly tattered dean who doesn't want to be a dean anymore and wants to be a professor? So actually, with one small correction, I was not the dean at Biola. I was just a professor, which oh. was a, a high okay. calling. And I was a professor, both I was a dean at Redlands and at Cal Baptist, and then I became a professor. And I was there for okay. nine years. And um, those nine years, I was developing um, my convene. I got I have now two groups. And then I also developed my consulting business. And actually, to be candid, I just loved that. I loved it immensely. Um, and again, I've had clients now. I have 34 or 5 clients in, in the greater area that I live in, which is in Orange County, um, that I'm with involved with in a, on a monthly basis. So I meet with the owners once a month, and I sometimes spend time developing their leadership group. I help with their strategic planning. I help with conflict resolution. Um, so I, I'm kind of a trusted advisor to about 34 uh, pretty good-sized clients mm-hmm. in the Orange County area. So I've kind of honed that skill as of a coach and as a, as a, as a facilitator and as a trusted advisor, and it's been a great experience. And I, over 10 years, had quite a few clients, and I loved them very much. Um, and it's a chance for me to um, 
challenge them to to be God honoring and serve their people well. And uh, so, and I'll give you just one example. And from the scriptures, you know, when when Christ and Peter had an interaction, and Jesus said to Peter, "Do you love me?" And there was always an agenda on Jesus's heart, <laughs> obviously. And Peter said, "Yes, Lord." And then Jesus said, "Not once, but not twice, but three times. Feed my sheep." And one of my goals and my personal mission is to assist the kingdom-minded, assist the kingdom. So while I'm a businessman, I want to help companies be profitable and healthy, but God-honoring. And and by that, it means every business owner has a congregation, and their job is to feed those sheep, treat them well, care for them, make it a great work experience. After all, their top eight hours of the day are at work, or maybe nine or ten even. And so how can you as an owner make an effective impact on their life so that they can feel like they're using their gifts as opposed to being exploited, that they can be resourced properly, that they can provide great products, great services, um, and then run a healthy community? Because there's always the human element, which means when there's multiple people, there's usually conflict. And how do we help them resolve conflict in a God-honoring way? Uh, even, you know, uh, Townsend and Cloud wrote a book called Necessary Ending. Sometimes it's just necessary for people to move on. Mm. But are there godly ways of helping people move on and having a, a good understanding, a clear understanding, and through accountability and support, can they, if they don't meet the standard, how do we help them move on to something else that they can use their God-given talent? So there are all these things we can feed the sheep. We can we can take care of our customers. We can take care of our vendors. We can take care of our clients and our employees. So bottom line is I'm having a lot of fun helping them see how they can impact the kingdom, not only with money, but with how they behave, how they respond. And obviously the big issue is how they behave ethically. So I have a great job. I love what I get to do. And it's I'm really nothing more than a professional question asker. I try to ask the right uh-huh. questions that cause them to have to think and think biblically and respond appropriately. I love that. We ask a lot of questions here at the catch. I, I, uh, I've always, I've always been fascinated with, uh, with that's how Jesus taught. He, he asked, um, continually asked questions and, uh, and then sometimes I, I noticed I had a, a whole chapter in one of my books once where I listed all the times that Jesus answered a question with another question. In other words, he asked one back at them. You know, it's basically, okay, if you're going to ask me that, well, then I'm going to ask you this. <laughs> it's really pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I've not mastered that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've not mastered that as well as I'd like, but but you know there are levels of questions and and really, yeah. um, I'm going to tell you a little trick of the trade. This is kind of cute. Uh, we always open with our uh, one-on-ones with prayer and we close with prayer, and and I never know what's on their heart, what's troubling them. They know that they're going to come and I'll ask them, what is your biggest challenge at work and at home and and how you're dealing with it. And um, but when I ask them to pray. Uh, it's if you listen well to their prayer, they will tell you what's on their heart, 
and then mm. my job is to to listen well. And of course, before I even hit the floor with my feet in the morning out of bed, is I pray that wonderful prayer from the first line of St. Francis of Assisi's iconic prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace today. And and so I want to be an instrument of peace. And the way I do it is I try to listen to what they're dealing with and then not ask superficial questions, the details, but ask them what's really going on. And, you know, again, mm. I get paid to ask a question like, tell me more. <laughs> you know, Help me understand more. Wow. What's really behind the scenes? And and because we have a long, long-ranging, chronic relationship, trust builds over time. And and when I have somebody that I've known for ten years and we've gone through life together, when I ask them those questions, um, many times they tell me they will tell me things they won't tell their pastor or even a counselor. Um, so I'm I'm a trusted advisor by asking those questions, and of course everything's held in confidence. But, and I don't tell them what to do. I ask them, what's the implication of doing this? Or what's the implication of not doing this? And generally speaking, they will answer those questions. And so I'm not as good as Jesus by any stretch of imagination of following up with questions like that. But what I do is I keep probing. Tell me more. What would happen if that happened? Right. What's the biggest, what's the biggest right. fear you have dealing with that? So those are the probing questions, but not superficial questions. And when you have great relationships and trust, guess what happens? They tend to open up. And a lot of times they, I mean, a lot of times, 95% of the time, they solve their own problems when the question is properly posed in the right in the right context. And let me make one other comment real quick on that. To get people to open up, so I don't know who's going to listen to this uh, cast, but um, to get people to open up, I want when I have an interaction with somebody, I want three things to happen at the by the end of my interaction, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour or whatever. And the three things that I want is I want them to know they've been heard, H-E-A-R-D, heard, that, that, that I've heard them, that I'm intently listening to them. I'm listening to not just their words, but their heart. Because I, I jokingly tell people, you know, words get in the way of our communication. So listen to the person's mm-hmm. heart, what's really going on there. Second thing I want is I want them to be understood, not just heard, but understood. And that it is that questioning going on. What what's really going on? And and so asking the right question allows them to explain so that they know that they're understood. Nothing worse than having conversations that you heard me but you really don't get me. So they need to be heard and they need to be understood. And then the last thing is it's a kind of a multiple last thing is to be cared for, to be resourced. And those are kind of equivalent, meaning if if they if they can sense and know that not only do I care about them and they're getting a little bit better in that area, whatever it might be, but they, they know they've been heard, they've been understood, and that I care about them and that we're on the same, think of a teeter-totter, we're on the same side, we're there together. Uh, I, I don't like to, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not trying to understand their you know, previous life experiences. I'm not here to preach yeah. at them. I'm here to help them understand where they're at, what are the roadblocks, what are their blind spots, what are the concerns. So it's not just patting them metaphorically on the back and say, I hear you, I understand you're good, go for it. No, we ask challenging questions. You know, uh, can we challenge each other to live a more godly life? What are the things that will help us get there? And, and even tough 
conversations, if they know that you're on the same side of the fulcrum, that you've heard them, you understand them, and you care for them, everything opens up. So a lot of times people just assume you can just ask a question and somebody's going to tell you, well, that's not likely. And I'm not a scientist, but I understand through my readings that you've got to connect with people before they're going to open up. And so my role is to really connect, hear them, understand them, and resource them by caring for them. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I I love your use of the word probe. I think that's um, that's really important, and uh, I I like that you're you're even giving us some some little handles here we can grab onto. There's one one someone taught me once, and and they actually just taught me because I observed them. They they didn't. This this was a person who. Um, pretty much makes a living doing interviews and uh, they're, they're what you call right brain interviews. They really try to probe into the emotions of a person. What, what, are, what really may, because we've discovered that really it's not your left brain, your logic that gu- guides most of your decisions. It's more your right brain and your emotions and your attachments, some of them we don't even understand. And uh, what she would do, I just have watched her do this, and it was amazing. She would just listen, and as soon as the person had, had at least completed talking and took a breath, you know, she would pick out something, one thing that they said, and she'd repeat it back to them, and then she'd say, tell me more about that. And that's what I try to boy, do. Each time, isn't that beautiful? I mean, each time you do that, you're going deeper because it's like you're digging down. And so now they're at another level. And then you pull out something from that level and you say, huh, I'm interested. Tell me a little bit more about how do you, how does that, you know, how does that make you feel or blah, blah, blah. And I, the other thing I want well, that- to point out to our listeners is, yeah, go ahead. No, that, that's an art and a science, and that's why you need to pray for discernment. And I pray that God will help me hear what the real issue is. Many times people don't even know what the real issue is wow. until they talk about it, until you unleash it. And we all have fears. And I think the issue is, is how do we cast those fears on the Lord in a sound way? Not Like my son's a marathoner. If I and I'm an, I exercise, but if I tried to run a marathon today, I'd die before it got over. So we don't do something <laughs> stupid, but within the re- realm of reasonable, you know, how do we cast that care upon the Lord, and how do we do that with, you know, I, I tell people we're all screwed up and dysfunctional. Get over it. We need God, and we need godly people if if you want to honor the Lord. And so we need each other, and we need to invest in each other, and that takes courage, and that takes vulnerable thinking patterns. Yeah. Wow, it sure does. Um, so really, it seems to me, Daryl, that that in the context of business and all of this other uh, other stuff you could put put it in, you're really discipling people. <laughs> Am I right That's about that? Because, yes, assisting the kingdom minded, assist the kingdom. I want them to grow in the Lord. You know, it sounds silly, but. Uh, I don't really don't care about money. 
I, I, I just don't even care about it. What I care about is helping them create a healthy work environment where there's the best product and the best services possible. Profits are the outcome. And so I focus on the ledger mm-hmm. of, of, of how to create the best products and the, that's needed and wanted and at the right price, done the right way, and the right people doing it and coming up with great things every day. And, you know, and I also like to see people, um, you know, it says hope deferred and Proverbs says makes the heart sick. And, and a lot of people spend their day doing mundane things at work that they don't really care about. Well, I think that's, I would call that vocational depression because most people don't like their mm. work. It's our responsibility to, I believe, as leaders of companies, is to find ways to create a healthy work environment so that they're using their God-given gifts, even though they might not be a Christian. All gifts are given by God, I believe. And, and, and where they're excited about it and doing something that's productive and that there's a value to it, there's, there's some value to it. Profits come as a result of having people do that. And so I don't, I mean, I, yes, I'm smart enough about, you know, we've got to be fiscally sound on both sides of the ledger, meaning expenses and, and revenue. We've got to know how to manage our money well. We need to be good stewards. Mm-hmm. We need to know how to read finances. We need to know what the economy is doing. We need to know, even understand the effect of politics on what is it going to mean for our business. We need to understand how technology is changing the world. We need all that business stuff. But really, it's all about creating a great work world so that they can go home happy. Is there a difference between a person who goes home happy versus a person who goes home tired and dull? I mean, I think it's profound. If you're a spouse of a worker and they come home every day tired, grumpy, uh, uninspired, guess who's it's, the spillover is going to be to you, your your family, even the dogs. Well, my role is to have people, you know, come to work with purpose, focus, work hard, work their butt off, and then go home happy that they've contributed, they've done something. That the sense of we've made something meaningful. There's purpose to this, and then. Go home and love on your family because if you don't, eventually they won't love you back. <laughs> and we know way too many <laughs> Christian homes that have fallen apart, and it's mm-hmm. subtle. It doesn't happen one day. It's not a tsunami. It happens over time. And we have got to avoid allowing or creating yeah. people to have vocational depression. And guess what? Doctors give you mm-hmm. medicine for depression, and it's not necessarily biomedical. It's not necessarily because you have major problems. It's probably because you spent the last 10 hours or whatever bored to death. I mean, I can't imagine having a life like that. That's our responsibility to feed the sheep. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And that, that you, you brought up a, something that I wonder about um, in the whole context of working with businessmen in a Christian environment. You know, there are some aspects of business that – you know, must be questionable in terms of of uh, follower of Christ. You know, if we think about Adam Smith and the whole idea of competition, driving prices down, and then people get competitive, and then they can turn into cutthroat each other, and um, you know, then greed sets in, and of course, the whole the whole thing is built on greed, supposedly, because that drives people to do what they do. Where, where, where is, is is some of that true? And and where do you find the contradictions between 
a, a business and, and faith and, and how do you deal with those? Do you see them come up? Do you deal with those all the time or what? Wow. You've asked a profound. I'd love to have you address that. In <laughs> soon after three minutes is impossible. Well, um, first of all, there are a lot of people in the world who money is their idol. Uh, they think the more they have, the happier they're going to be. My personal experience, I have quite a few clients over time that have had large resources, um, and I don't see them happy. In fact, it's it's sometimes contraindicated, believe it or not. I mean, certainly you need enough to pay the rent and cover the basics and send your kid to college when it's the right time. But clearly, money is not correlated whatsoever to happiness. Um, and you can look at it in some third world countries where they're just as happy as can be and they don't have anything. But the reality is, is mm. happiness comes from the joy of the Lord. To, uh, uh, you know, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And the counter side to that is right after that, apart from me, you can do nothing. And John fifteen five. 5. Um, and the reality is, is we really, or John ten ten. excuse me, I've lost my thought here. Uh, nevertheless, um, the Lord says, abide in you and you and me. And that's what it's all about. Uh-huh. That's where our joy is. That's where our contentment is. And when we put our faith in Jesus, where it does not eradicate challenges or problems, it just means we can still have abundant life and all those things. So it really starts with a paradigm. And so if greed is your God, then good luck. Um, and there are lots of people who mm-hmm. don't know the Lord who are greedy. There are people who are do know the Lord, and they are also greedy. Our job is not to conquer the world. Our job is to live our life uh, for the Lord and, and be an example. And, and then the joy of the Lord's got to come out. Uh, I mean, uh, I was married for uh, 42 years, and two and a half years ago, my saintly wife uh, is, I call, graduated. She's in heaven. And, boy, that's been, a, that's been an emotional challenge just because I miss her. But there's still every day the joy of the Lord, and, and it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with things. I think it's how we see the world. Mm. Is Did Christ really rise on the third day and die on the execution stake for our sins? I, so it's all a matter of how we see the world. I see that God loves us, and he's got a great calling in our life, and we can have joy no matter what we have. So I can't change the greedy people of the past or even the present or even the future, but I can try to have a, uh, an impact to say that if you live your life for the Lord and the joy of the Lord, there is something that nothing nothing else can replace. So I'm not even coming close to answering your very profound question, but I wanted to just give you an idea that to me it's all about a choice, and our choice is can we really mm. commit our lives to the Lord? That's what I challenge people to do on a regular basis. Wow. Well, that applies to all of us. And uh, gosh, I just looked at the clock. Uh, I promised you I'd I let you go at the at the 30 minute mark and we're there. Daryl, so um I just want to thank you for um sharing some thoughts with us and and uh I got about five more questions here and <laughs> we'll just have to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> well, pe- peace and blessings and it's it's an honor to to be interviewed. I'm humbled. There's no way I I and it should be in the same sentence or paragraph or even the same world as an Osgins or people like that. So I, I'm just a simple Christian trying to help people one at a time and, and, and loving it. So, but thank you for your ministry and what you're doing. Great. Great. Oh, thank you for what you're doing, Daryl. Appreciate it very much. God bless you. All right. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. All right. Well, folks, uh, boy, we did just scratch the surface, didn't we? Um, 
just getting going there on issues to do with business and and faith, um, we definitely will have to have Daryl back because I want to hear him talk further into those areas because uh, I know we all face that uh, mostly every day in in the workplace. Um, how do we maintain um, our faith and our work and keep the focus? Um, and are they one and the same? Can they be one and the same? Um, it'll be interesting to hear uh, what what we can come up with that. So God bless. Uh, next week we have we already have our guest for next week. His name is Steve Moore. He's a head of the Murdoch Foundation in in up in the, the Northwest in Vancouver, Washington, and uh, we're he's got a, a a really good handle on the culture, um, and we're going to talk a lot about this uh, the whole idea of uh, the spirit of the age and how we can uh, contradict that which is wrong about the spirit of the age with the uh, spirit of Christ in our lives. So that should be a really good one. Uh, Don't miss Steve Moore next week. Uh, Meanwhile, thanks again to Daryl, Daryl Passwater. And uh, uh, we're uh, we're just going to have to have him back, that's for sure. So uh, God bless you all. We will see you next week. Have a great Easter. And uh, this is the wonderful, the best weekend of the year for Christians. So uh, celebrate, rejoice, and uh, tell somebody what happened on Good Friday. Why is Good Friday so good? God bless you.